Hey, true crimies. It's me. I'm your host, Kayla Waters. And I'm Kayla's mom, Alicia. And you are listening to True Crime Exposed. Welcome back to our show. I think last week I said that my throat was hurting, so hopefully I didn't sound too bad. But now this week, my throat is on fire. So hopefully I don't sound too sick. I know that can sound totally annoying in audio, but I've got a pretty crazy case for you today, so you don't want to miss this. Welcome to True Crime Exposed, where we will discuss with you a brand new case every week where you hopefully feel right at home with our casual storytelling, and where we give victim stories exposure, at the same time exposing the evil that lives all around us. Are you ready for today's case? Okay, guys, this case is so bizarre, so let's just jump right into it. On January 23rd, 2015, dispatchers receive an emergency call. There's a woman unconscious on her doorstep at 112 59th Street in Fairfield, Alabama. Authorities are notified immediately and they rush to the address where they find Natasha Wright. Due to a medical emergency, Natasha is passed out, but she's coming in and out of consciousness. Before being loaded into the ambulance and taken to the hospital, she regains consciousness for the span of a few minutes, and during this time, she asks authorities where her son is, Jason Sims Jr. She hasn't seen him for a bit. Police inform her that, as far as they can tell, no one else seems to be in the home at the moment. And she's like, yeah, I know no one else is here right now. What I'm saying is I haven't seen my son in a while. I need help finding him. Authorities just sort of stand there for a moment looking at her with this blank stare. They were all actually super confused. What do you mean you haven't seen your son in a while? And Natasha tells them that she thinks Jason Jr. is missing. She can't recall when she actually last saw him, but she knows that she last saw him inside their home. Okay, so I'm a little bit confused, I think, too. (laughs) (laughs) So do a recap. What's going on? So they just found her unconscious. And her front door? On her front doorstep. And she says that her son is missing when she gains a little bit of consciousness. Okay. She's like, I do know where my son is. I need help finding him. I don't know where he is. Okay. So like a neighbor called and said there's some lady on the front doorstep and that's how the police got out there? Probably. I have no idea. (laughs) There's not a lot of info on this case. Okay. So all I know is that she was found on her doorstep. Okay. After they had received a call. So... 
The police are obviously bewildered and shocked, and they try to ask her more details, but Natasha falls back into an unconscious state, and the ambulance has to take her to the hospital to get treated. Is she, like, beat up? Like, why does she keep going unconscious? She's not beat up, I don't think. Um, I'm not sure. Is she drunk? <laughs> <laughs> no clue. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but they said it was a medical condition. So she was found unconscious due to some sort of medical condition. But there is no information on what. That is one of the things that people are frustrated with later on in the case. Like with the lack of info. Like it has never been said why she was found in that state. Okay. Yeah. So immediately the authorities know they need to start looking into her claims of her missing son. Of course, they needed to dive into Natasha's family and their background to track down her child and bring him home. But they never expected the insanity of what was actually going on. So investigators on the case look up Natasha Wright. Just last year, both her and her husband had a warrant out for their arrest. Police had actually come to this very same home multiple times to try and serve these arrest warrants before eventually coming to the conclusion that the family left the home for good and was on the run. But now, Natasha was home. How long had she been back? Where was the rest of her family? And why had there been an arrest warrant for the couple? Well, Natasha Wright and Jason Sr. had actually been investigated all throughout the previous year. In 2014, the Alabama Department of Human Resources, which is referred to as DHR for short, opened an investigation into the couple. This investigation was brought on by suspicion of child neglect within the home. DHR had gone to the home in 2014 to investigate the couple and how they parented their two children who were 12 and 10 years old at the time. Through their investigation, the home of Natasha Wright and her husband, Jason Sims Sr., was found to be dangerous for the children and things about the family just seemed off. DHR concluded that something needed to be done for those children, so after determining the children were not being properly taken care of, authorities went to serve arrest warrants that they had obtained for the couple in October of 2014. The arrest warrants were for aiding the dependency of minors, which basically means that these parents were not doing the things they were supposed to do as parents for their children. Like I stated earlier, when the police arrive with the warrants in hand, they discover that the family was just gone. There were no signs of them. I mean, all of their stuff was there, but it just appeared that the home was not being lived in anymore. It looked like the family had just grabbed a few of their things and left. To authorities, it seemed that the family was probably on the run after being spooked by the DHR investigation. So they had two kids. Yes, so they started investigating them and their two children, a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old. But now it was 2015 when authorities had to come help Natasha at this very same home. So clearly, she must have come back to the home at some point after the charges had been dismissed. 
And yes, you heard that right. The charges for aiding the dependency of minors were just dropped at some point after the warrants were failed to be served because the family was gone. So I guess after police try to serve these warrants and they can't, they're just like, oh, well, I guess they're gone. Let's drop these charges. I'm sure the kids are fine now. <laughs> it makes no sense to me, but okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. The systems aren't great. It's like you're not going to keep searching for the family when they're on the run. They're just like, oh, they're gone. We don't have the time to find them. They're gone. Drop it. Yeah. But once the police that were helping Natasha that day learn about what had been going on in this family over the past year, it was evident that they needed to locate Natasha's two children quickly and make sure that her son that she reported missing was found safe. After three days of searching for answers, police find Natasha's children staying with some family members in Mulga, Alabama. Now, Mulga isn't far from Fairfield, where the family lived. According to Google, Mulga seems to be just a short 15-minute drive from Fairfield. Both towns are in western Jefferson County, although Mulga is a much smaller town with a population of just over 800, while Fairfield has a population just above 11,000. Now, when the authorities find the children, a weight is lifted off of their shoulders only for a split second. But that relief would actually just turn into more confusion because Natasha had two children, right? A 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. But police didn't find two children in Mulga that day. No, they found three of Natasha and Jason Sr.'s children. They apparently also had a younger child, a nine-year-old. And then they find out that none of these children are Jason Sims Jr. As authorities tried to work through what the hell was going on here, they discover that Jason Sims Jr. was Natasha and Jason Sr.'s oldest son, 15 years old at the time. Authorities never knew about the couple's oldest child or youngest child and a sinking feeling filled their stomachs as they realized that the couple had four children, not two children. Mm, that's weird. <laughs> so weird. Did... Oh, so many questions. Did they go to school? Was there school records? Nope. Did they keep them home? Yes, they kept them home, and there were no records for them. The two unknown children, actually the oldest and the youngest... They had never been enrolled in any school and they had never been to the doctor's office as far as we can tell because there are no medical records for these children. I have heard of those cases where they, um, the kids aren't really known about and they kind of like keep them hidden. Yeah, which is weird because it sounds to me like the two middle children, they did go to school or there was record of them. But for some reason, the oldest and the youngest were kept hidden away. The police have even stated that some relatives didn't even know that the couple's oldest son existed. In fact, as authorities dig into this case, the only sign that Jason Sims Jr. ever existed, aside from his mom informing the authorities that he was missing, was that they found a birth certificate for him 
and a couple of old pictures of who they believe to be him as a child. Although, according to the birth certificate, he would have been 15 years old at this time, the only pictures that they could find of him looked like he was about five or six years old. No recent pictures of him have ever been found. Police have created a time-progressed photo of him as a teenager based off of the photos that they have of him as a child. Once the three children were found in Molga, they were not returned to their parents. They were actually put into DHR's custody and put in the foster care system for the time being. Less than one month later, on February 13, 2015, police conduct a search of the home on 59th Street after obtaining a search warrant. During this search, the police actually had to have the Birmingham Fire and Rescue's hazmat unit help them. And they explained this by saying it was because of the mother's illness? Although they could not discuss or disclose any information on her illness and all it entailed. Nothing was found to aid in finding the missing teen or that gave the authorities any leads. So they're saying they used the hazmat team to help them search because of the mother's illness and possible contagions. Which, does that make sense to you? Mm, not really. Was she on meth? No, not that, not that we know of. As far as we know, it's just a medical condition. Like, it doesn't say anything about drugs, anything about anything else. I wonder what that could be. Yeah, so there's nothing you know of that's, like, super contagious, would still be lingering in the home. Like, there's, are there sicknesses that spread that way? Or I mean, there's, like, respiratory, like, tuberculosis that could spread, but I wouldn't feel like they'd need a whole hazmat suit. Hmm. Yeah, that's so crazy. Or she's on any, like, carcinogenic, like, chemotherapy drugs or something. Those could be dangerous. You have to dispose of those, like, carefully and in special ways. But that's interesting to that they need, I, I would think, like, hazmat suits. You see, you know, like, houses that are filled with meth. People have to be very careful of. Yeah, and that could be possible, but it's never reported. At this point, it is clear that the authorities need to get in contact with both parents and find some answers. Natasha was the one to basically report Jason Jr. missing, so they know where she is, and they were able to question both Natasha and the three children that were located. But what about their father, Jason Sr.? It was time to track him down. It didn't take too long to find Jason Sr. and question him about his missing child. They get right to the point, asking him what he knows about the disappearance of his oldest child. Jason Sr. immediately shuts down the conversation. He refused to talk and he did not want to cooperate. So he simply stated to the authorities that he did not know the whereabouts of that child. And without any more information, there's not much that they can do about it. So they let Jason Sr. leave. And then months start to pass and there's no progression in the case. No new leads. I mean, almost no one even knew about Jason Jr.'s existence. So how were they supposed to get more information on his life? 
A judge, Lorraine Pringle, actually ordered Jason Sims Sr. to be held in late February of 2015 while the investigators searched for his missing son. So this was in the early days of the investigation. She was worried about the freezing temperatures outside and the fact that authorities learned that Jason Sims Jr. was autistic and nonverbal, which Honestly, I'm unsure of how Jason Jr. would have ever been diagnosed with this because we know he was never taken to the doctors and he was never enrolled in school, which are two of the places where people are trained to look for these things and you would eventually get a medical diagnosis from the doctor's office, I think. I don't know. I haven't gone through it, but is that kind of how it works when you're getting diagnosed with autism? Yeah. But, I mean, I guess a lot of people self-diagnose, too. Yeah. So, through their investigation, it was made aware that Jason was nonverbal and the family believed it was due to him being autistic. So, I'm assuming it it has to be self-diagnosed. Yeah. Since he never went to the doctors or to school. Mm-hmm. A month after the first search in March of 2015... A second search was conducted just to go over the home and make sure that they didn't miss anything. The police chief at the time stated, quote, While we fear the worst, we remain optimistic that the child will be located and is safe. The safety and welfare of this child is our utmost concern, end quote. During this second search, they used a canine unit to assist them, and it was also announced that multiple other agencies were joining their investigation. The State Bureau of Investigation, the Jefferson County District Attorney's Office, the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office, and the U.S. Marshals, along with the Center for Missing and Exploited Children, were all joined together now on the search for this young teen. A bit after their second search, a third search was conducted by the Fairfield Police and the Birmingham Police. Chief Davis stated, quote, We're just following up. We went back in to make sure we didn't miss anything. End quote. But they didn't find anything. And eventually, Jason Sims Sr. was let go as they weren't finding any evidence against him. But then later in 2015... The same year that Natasha was found in her home passed out and reported Jason Jr. missing, Natasha actually goes to court to file an order of protection from abuse against her husband, Jason Sims Sr. These allegations were serious and they were scary, painting Jason Sr. in a very dark light. Someone who is capable of evil surrounding his anger. And with that, authorities start to really focus in on Jason Sr. If he was able to abuse and mistreat his wife, what about his children? I mean, we know that both Jason and Natasha had already faced charges in relation to not taking proper care of their children, and then they fled. Authorities might not have been able to figure out exactly what was going on with this couple, but they at least knew that the family dynamic in this home had not been healthy or safe. So, in April of 2016, authorities did what they could. At this point, there was no trace of Jason Jr. No leads. He was just gone. 
Authorities decided that they would bring whatever charge they could against Jason Sr. to at least find a sliver of justice in this case of a boy who was almost missing before he was even missing. They believed Jason Sr. knew much more than he was letting on. So he was charged with failure to report a child missing, which is a felony charge. The few people who were actually following this case waited anxiously to see what information would come out during trial and if any answers would be found in Jason Jr.'s disappearance. But their wait would go on for years until 2019 when Jason Sr. finally decided to just accept a plea deal, stating that he came to this decision even though he claims he is not guilty because he wants to be able to just move on in his life. It's just been so hard for him to maintain a job. And he says, quote, it comes to a point where you just have to move on, end quote, which I'm sorry, but I don't think that's how you describe your feelings about your still missing child when you are actually a grieving parent. You just have to move on. Like, oh. Dang, that that would be so hard for them to prosecute that because they don't have a body. They don't have any details. They don't have any blood. They don't have any yeah. DNA. And, well, that's why I think they did such a low, like such a low charge and something that's a little more broad. The failure to report a missing child. Just failure to report. I wonder what that even gives you. Well, it's a felony, but... He did not get a lot for it because in his plea, they actually dropped it to be a misdemeanor. Did they say anything about the interviewed any of their other kids? It doesn't say anything about that. I mean, I assume that they did interview the other kids because, I mean, they got taken into DHR's custody. So I'm sure they were talked with. I'm sure... That authorities found out information about their home life, and that's part of the reason they were even taken into custody. That's too bad that they dropped the ball right at first. Like, with what? Like, the DHS, that they just dropped the case and didn't follow up. Oh, like in their initial investigation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know, that is too bad that they didn't actually follow through and find the family. And, like, how well did they investigate? I mean... Natasha came back to the house at some point. So they said that they ran, but how long did they look at the home and keep going to the home? All right. Or did they just not answer the door? (laughs) Yeah, literally. Because she was there when they picked her up for her medical emergency. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they like dropped everything and left. It was still their home. Yeah, it's that is weird. I would say maybe he ran away, but if he didn't talk. And you'd think when a kid runs away, you would report them right away. Normal people would. (laughs) Sure. Oh, so do you think maybe the mom was saying her son was missing because she knew he really was missing from the dad? Oh, when the mom reported him missing, it wasn't like, oh, he went missing today. It was like, I haven't seen my son and I don't, I don't remember when I last saw him. So it wasn't like she was reporting him missing because she just like, was nervous it was just the police happened to be there and she was like yeah i haven't seen my son in a while actually (laughs) i don't get it i'm sorry but why didn't you report it when he 
you first notice that you haven't seen him. Exactly. That's why I was wondering if she was on drugs. Yeah, I could be, doesn't say. Sounds suspicious. Super suspicious. It's, it is, the police explained it as one of the most bizarre situations they've ever encountered, like in a missing persons investigation. Like the whole thing was just really weird. Yeah, it sounds really weird. And then Jason Sr. also talks about how he wishes he could talk to Natasha Wright after he takes that plea deal. But I guess the courts have put an order in place keeping him away from Natasha as well as away from the children. So with that plea, we talked about how it was dropped from a felony to a misdemeanor, and he only got a 12-month suspended sentence and some probation. Wow. So he didn't really get in very much trouble for this, but Jason Sr. maintains that he had no responsibility to report Jason Jr. missing and that he has no idea where he is. And Why does he say that he wasn't responsible for Jason Jr.? Well, because he says that Jason Jr. is not his son and that he's always known that. He uses the fact that Natasha Wright did not put his name on the birth certificate. Another man's name is not on the birth certificate either. There is no father listed on Jason Jr.'s birth certificate. But to me, it's like, really? So Jason Sims Sr. is saying that Jason Sims Jr. is not his son. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, but like you have the same name. And as far as I can tell, he raised him. Right. I was going to say, well, don't you have a responsibility living with a child, even if you're not the dad? If you notice that a child goes missing, don't you have that responsibility to report it? Oh, exactly. Like, regardless of if you're the biological father or not, you are his father. He lived with you. Like, nice excuse, but it's not going to fly. And I don't believe for two seconds that he's not his dad. I mean, (laughs) maybe, but like, I don't believe he didn't think he was his dad. It's Jason Sims Sr. and Jason Sims Jr. (laughs) Like, you're his dad. What Like, that is the dumbest defense I've ever heard. Yeah. Well, who knows? I mean, you never know, but they won't be able to prove it now if they can't find him. He just sounds like a real jerk because it's like, regardless, you were his dad. He's like, well, I had no, I had no responsibility to report him missing. He's not even my kid. I've always known that. (laughs) It's like, okay. I just don't see like sane people reacting this way. Yeah, I clearly I definitely something's definitely off here (laughs) like for sure or like not sending their kids to school or not barely even having a record I mean we do have some families in Utah that don't birth their children in hospitals and don't even get them birth certificates or anything that's crazy that's rare but I mean I can see that happening I mean there's certain things that it's like Sure, it's fine not to go to school and stuff, but I mean, like, babies and kind of need to go to the doctor. Like, if you're not enrolling them in school, they should still be proven to exist via a doctor. Oh, yeah. People, there's lots of people that don't believe in that. Really? Like, Shannon didn't grow up seeing a doctor or... He didn't. Uh Uh-uh. And that's why he became one. (laughs) I guess so. Uh, Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. 
I mean, maybe to other people that seems super weird, but like there are people in our state that are like that. So it's like possible, but like they're just really naturalists. Yeah. But some of their own relatives didn't even know that Jason Jr. existed. And he was their oldest kid. That's when it's that's when it's weird. Like, are you hiding him away? Like, abusing him? Like, making him stay in the cellar, locked away? Exactly. And did nobody know about him? Because that guy didn't think he was his son. Maybe. But then why did you name him after you? <laughs> I, don't. I don't know. <laughs> but... But that, I did say that's the dumbest defense I've ever heard, but it's actually not. I'm wrong because Jason Sims Sr., his attorney actually goes as far as saying that Jason Sims Jr. never existed. Like, what are you even talking about? You can't say that Jason Sr. isn't the father and then at the same time, you're like, well, maybe he actually didn't even exist. Did he? I mean, there's a birth certificate and photos of him as a child. Okay. So, okay. you know, clearly he did exist. He has a birth certificate. I mean, regardless, of, he had a strange upbringing and his parents hid him from the public. But I'm assuming when the police discussed the entire situation with the couple's other three children that they confirmed Jason Jr. was their older brother. I mean, at ages 12, 10, and 9, you are definitely old enough to know whether you had another sibling or not. Yeah. And then I can almost guarantee the court system is not going to follow through on charges against someone for a child that is non-existent. I mean, I think his parents wanted him to maybe seem like he was non-existent for some reason, but I'm sure that they came to a pretty solid conclusion that he existed from talking to family members, the other kids, and his birth certificate, I guess. Yeah. Mm. But I just couldn't believe the audacity of that attorney to argue that as the defense. Like, first they argued that he's not his son. It would be interesting to see, like, how he says that. Like, well, okay, what about his birth certificate? What about these pictures? Yeah. That's an interesting story. It is crazy. And since Jason Sr. received his plea, there has been no new news on this case. There isn't any new information or any sign of us finding Jason Jr., this case has just completely died out of the public eye. And what's heartbreaking about it is that Jason Sims Jr. was almost non-existent when he was living. So his disappearance wasn't a shock to the community because almost no one knew him anyways. He was clearly living in an abusive home where he was not being taken care of. I saw on Brain Scratch Searchlight, which is a little show on YouTube, that there is a web sleuth thread on this case and it's mostly just people being frustrated with the lack of information on the case and the lack of updates. There was one mom by the username of Ontario Mom and she states, quote, I can't find anything in the recent news about this boy. It's like he went missing twice, end quote. And she had stated that only months after Jason Jr. was even reported missing. That's how fast the interest in this case died down. The Charlie Project did add Jason's missing information to their website. 
They just put his missing date as January 1st, 2015, since he was reported missing in January, but his mom couldn't actually say when she last saw him. He is from Fairfield, Alabama, and he is classified as endangered missing. His date of birth is April 24th, 1999. He went missing at age 15 and was roughly 5 foot 6 inches tall, weighing about 125 pounds. He is described as autistic and nonverbal and is an African-American male with black hair and brown eyes. The Center for Missing and Exploited Children also have a spot for Jason Jr. on their website. They ask people with information and tips on this case to please call 1-800-THE-LOST or Fairfield Police at 1-205-786-4111. So what could have happened to Jason Sims Jr.? All we can do is speculate about his life and what could have happened as there has been no information brought forward and there is no evidence to guide theories. I mean, I can't even find any information on if the other three children were ever returned to their parents or if they remain in foster care in a safe environment. But here are a few theories I have found. One person on the WebSleuth forum did comment anonymously about how Natasha was a victim of abuse from her husband. Jason Sims Sr. This person claims that Natasha's family had tried for more than 13 years to get Natasha away from Jason Sr., even calling the police several times. This person claims that Jason Sr. threatened to kill the children and Natasha. And the person commenting calls the family their loved ones. So if this is not just some, you know, troll trying to involve themselves in the conversation surrounding the case, then they may be a family member that has a bit of insight into the family. And this person did seem pretty passionate in their comments, which makes me believe them a little more than I would otherwise. And She was passionate in her comments because it seemed that she was defending Natasha from others with theories that were painting Natasha in a not so great light, which to back up this person's claims, I did see a lot of articles where neighbors of the family did explain Jason Sr. as just kind of a jerk, someone who wasn't very friendly, someone that was kind of mean. So he may not have been a great guy. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. But, yeah, and that's kind of what it seems like to me. But some of those commenters had theories that Natasha was the one who knew more, that she actually filed for the protection against abuse as a ploy with her attorney to get herself off the hook about her missing child and easily place the blame onto Jason Sims Sr. There's no evidence of this. But that's just what some people were claiming. Some people actually were kind of saying that Jason Sims Sr., they felt bad for him and he got screwed, which I don't feel bad for him at all because, I mean, he's clearly suspicious because he claims that Jason's not his son and also may not exist. (laughs) So, like, he's suspicious to me. You would know. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know what one it is. Like, you definitely know more than what you're saying. Yeah. Now, you know, Natasha could have been involved in well as well. I don't know. I don't know 
almost anything about her. And, you know, it's not, it wouldn't be a far stretch to me to think that both the parents may be responsible for Jason being missing or that they're both possibly involved. Either way, none of them, they didn't report him missing soon enough. Right. Which is suspicious to me about both parents. Mm-hmm. Like, it is suspicious that she said, oh, he's missing, but I don't, I don't know when I last saw him. Yeah. Like, I promise you, I know when I last saw my kids. <laughs> And when they're a teenager, it will be the same. (laughs) But some people believe Jason Jr. could just be a runaway, kind of like you said earlier, choosing to leave his bad home life on his own. But like we kind of talked about, he is nonverbal. So that would make it so much harder for him to get away. Yeah, maybe he had to be nonverbal in his environment yeah i don't know maybe they didn't allow him to talk or forced him to act a certain way i have thought about him he could have been a runaway that would be awesome yeah because then he's just out there living free to a better life but yeah i have thought about that too like the fact that he was nonverbal. i kind of thought like is it really because he's autistic or is it because of could it have been because of his home life and how he was treated. Did he ever even learn how to talk? I don't know. Yeah. And then like you said, maybe he just stayed quiet to kind of protect himself. Lots of unanswered questions. Oh yeah, so many. Some people believe that Jason Jr. might be with a relative and is still being hidden. You know, he was hidden his entire life, so maybe his parents want him to remain hidden. But I don't find this very likely because... Why would hiding your child be so important that you're willing to look guilty of doing something to him and be in legal trouble, you know, facing the court system? At that point, most people would just turn the child up to prove that they did not do anything and to get themselves out of trouble. Yeah. But the thing that I find weird is that Jason Jr. doesn't have any pictures older than five or six. I mean, how do we even know that Jason ever made it to be 15? Did the DHR investigators make contact with him at some point, leading us to know that he was, in fact, alive as a teenager? I don't know because that information is not told. The lack of information in this case is what leads to so many questions, but were family members able to confirm that Jason Jr. was alive in 2014? Yeah, did his siblings know? If he had been missing for a while, they might have not even known how much time had passed. They were kind of young to, you know, grasp fully time, I guess. Yeah. Like, what if he what if he was missing long before he was reported missing in January of 2015? Yeah, that is an interesting point. But I thought about that because it is weird that there's no photos of him as he got older. Yeah, there must have been a reason why they thought he was 15. Maybe the investigators did see him at some point. Maybe his brothers and sisters confirmed he did live in the house until recently. But it's just strange. Very. I guess we may never know. We may never have answers. There are certainly many questions with no answers surrounding this case as of today in October of 2021. But I hope that Jason Sims Jr. will one day receive the justice he deserves. That one day we can find out what happened to him. That we can learn more about his life. 
He deserves to be known after so many years of being hidden away, before he was just eventually missing completely. He may have never felt cared about, but Jason Sims Jr., we care about you and we are still looking for you. Did you know that in the medieval times, everyone believed in mermaids? There were hundreds of people who saw mermaids. They were depicted, without question, alongside aquatic animals like whales and sharks and fish. I wish I lived in the medieval evil times because I believe in mermaids and I think that they're real and they used to be. I lived in Alaska. Bye. If you enjoyed our show today, please, 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 please share this story with your friends and onto your social media. And please, if you're on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star written review. I will literally owe you and love you forever. It will be a huge part of helping our show succeed. If you have any case suggestions, please email them to truecrimeexposed at gmail.com. One of the biggest things I want to start doing is doing a segment where I share stories or questions from you guys, from our listeners. Have you had anything crazy happen to you? Have you had anything creepy happen to you? Do you know about a case that's creepy that no one talks about? Is your neighbor creepy? Is your uncle weird? Send in your stories. You can remain anonymous or you can leave your name so that you can get a shout out on our podcast. These will be such fun episodes. I just need you guys to send me in your stories. Follow us on social media for pictures and information on every single case we cover. You can find us on TikTok at True Crime Exposed Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at True Crime X Pod, True Crime E-X-P-O-D. And you can find us on Twitter at True Crime underscore pod. This podcast is researched, written, hosted, and edited by me, Kayla Waters. It's co-hosted by my mom, Alicia Jenkins. My daughter, Charlie Waters, gives us a palate cleanser every week so that we can feel a little better after listening to sad stories. Our original graphic art was done by Arthur Max, and our music was created by Jaden Schultz. You can find him on Instagram at In Pajamas Music. Stick around to get this week's organization info. Okay, guys, the organization that I chose to talk to you about today is called the National Children's Advocacy Center, and you can visit their website, which is www.nationalcac.com. 
org. And on that site, you can report child abuse, you can donate, and you can kind of see what their mission is and what they're all about. Their mission is stated on here as promoting and delivering excellence in child abuse response and prevention through service, education, and leadership. As you heard in our story today, child abuse and neglect could be a part of why Jason Sims Jr. is missing. We need to talk about child abuse more often because it is far more prevalent than we think. I encourage you guys to go and join their community and help be an advocate against child abuse.